0: Turning your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6 and 7. It would be helpful to have it uh, open before us. We are taking a fairly broad brush approach to these opening chapters of Samuel uh, to see the, the big picture of what's happening. And This morning we come uh, to uh, what I've entitled the God who helps. The God who helps. Uh, the help is the name of a good film that came out several years ago. It's about African-American maids in the southern states of America in the 1950s or thereabouts. It's called The Help. That's how these southern households referred to the maid, the help. It seems a fairly belittling term, a diminishing term. And the way we even use the word help has varying degrees of strength. Daddy's little helper. Somebody, some child that is doing their best to help dad, but dad has to spend more time and energy tidying up afterwards. At least that was my father's experience when I tried to help him uh, do anything on building site. And then there's the person that you say to, I couldn't have done this without your help. And they have been invaluable to you. And their help has been necessary and real. But even there, there's still the idea of you were able to do most of the job, but you needed somebody to come alongside and do a little bit extra. They had ability that you didn't have, or time, or resources, or you just needed an extra set of hands. Sometimes, help is a little bit extra. Sometimes it's a lot extra. But whenever it comes to what we're looking at today, our anchor verse is First Samuel 7 verse 12. For Samuel says, Thus far has the Lord helped us. And whenever in Scripture God is described as our help, we need to, in a sense, lose all our ideas of a human helper. His help is vastly disproportionate to any human being who helps us. It takes in his colossal greatness, his power, his wisdom, everything about him. He is the one who has come to our aid. Like a small child asking the world's strongest man uh, to to help them carry a chair uh, and the, the, the A strong man is carrying the chair entirely and the child is walking along with her hand, actually leaning down, adding more weight to the chair. Well, that's often what it's like. In fact, that's entirely what it's like whenever God comes to our aid. I want to think about this this morning. The word itself, help, lose all its connotations. Rid yourself of any idea of partnership, Any idea of um, somebody else who who turns up and does our bidding? And come with me as we consider, first of all, the God who helps. Let's consider, first of all, the God who helps. Last week, we saw in the previous section, in a sense, the God who didn't help. The Israelites tried to treat him like a lucky charm. Let's take the ark of God to the battlefield and sure we'll be safe. And God wouldn't play that game. One of the points that Johnny made last week in preaching was you can't use God. You can't use God. And then we see him allowing the ark of the covenant that symbolized his presence to be captured. So what was going to happen? Would the people mount a rescue mission? Would they come under cover of darkness and sneak the Ark of the Covenant back uh, to Israel? Would they restore God to his rightful place? Would Samuel, this great leader who has been brought by God to Israel, would he rise up and would he galvanize the people? Well, as we move into chapter 6, the people of God are about to learn a humbling truth. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our help. The precious Ark of the Covenant sits in Philistine territory. At the end of chapter 5, the Philistines have realized that this is not good for them that it's caused their God, Dagon, to fall over in his temple as if bowing before the God of Israel. He, they put him in his feet again. He fell over again and smashed into pieces. It would seem from the, the religious leader's comments that it's not just Dagon, but the other gods have been affected as well. The land has been affected. There's been a plague of rats. The people have been affected. There has been a plague of tumors. And chapter 6, verse 16 We find the Ark of the Covenant back in Israel. Samuel doesn't get a mention. The people didn't do anything. Here is a God who can take care of himself. He has struck the Philistine cities and gods and countryside. He doesn't need their help, the Israelites' help. He is not a tame God. But the Philistines are a skeptical bunch. Is it all coincidence? Or is it God at work, the God of Israel? And so they come up with this test. They put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. They hitch that cart to two cows who are recently calved. And the issue is, will the cows forsake all their natural maternal instincts and leave their calves behind? And will they go straight up the road? And the strangest of things happened. The cows go the whole way, driven, as it were, by an invisible hand. They don't deviate to the left or to the right, we're told. And don't think of roads like ours with tarmac and hedges down the side. Think of a dirt track that just goes off to the side into, into fields. And the easiest thing for the cows to, to wander off track and to, to start chomping on grass in the middle of some field or other. But no. They don't turn back. They don't turn aside. They walk straight to Beth Shemesh and park there as if there has been a driver on the cart taking them and then telling them to woe, to stop. The Ark of the Covenant is back in Israel just like that. He didn't need their help. Just by way of sideways application here, it's interesting that the Philistines witnessed the whole thing, but what did it do for them? Did it cause them to repent? Did they they say, oh, look, this is the God of Israel. He's the true God. All that we've been doing is entirely wrong. Let us forsake Dagon and all the other gods that we've been worshipping. Not at all. They were treated by God to display of his power and control, and nothing came out of it. What a somber warning. What will it take for them to believe? What will it take for us to believe? Sometimes we get to see God at work. And perhaps this morning, if you haven't yet come and put your trust in Christ, you've seen God work in varying ways, in varying people's lives, perhaps even your own. And you think, well, this is true. This God is real. But you haven't taken that step of putting your trust in him. Well, what will it take? What will it take? People of Israel learn that God is perfectly able to take care of himself. He doesn't need us. We don't do him any favors. Help is not a two-way street. God, I'll do this for you. I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. Yet sometimes we fall into that sort of thinking. I'll do God a favor and then he'll do me one. That's not the way it works. He's not that kind of help. Second thing they learn here is don't treat him lightly. Or he isn't to be treated lightly. We have a God who lowers himself to come amongst his people. To come to their aid. But we treat him lightly at our peril. That's what the people of Beth Shemesh found. They seem to do things right when the Ark of the Covenant returns. But then... In verse 19, it's like somebody stepping on the brake whenever you're driving down the motorway at 70 miles an hour. Verse 19, But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Why? Does God run hot and cold? Is he a buddy one minute and an enemy the next? Well, he's not fickle like that. They had either looked inside the Ark of the Covenant or some versions say looked at the Ark of the Covenant both of which the people of God were not to do. The Ark of the Covenant was meant to be covered up Uh, and it may be that these people were saying look that's what it looks like look you see it's not that much after all maybe they were passing derogatory comment on how it looked or maybe the Hebrew could also be understood to be they looked inside the Ark of the Covenant what they weren't to do Either. It was a reverence. It was treating lightly the things of God and playing games with God. And God has already shown patience. God has shown patience with them. Even in their, their immediate response in sacrificing cows, you weren't to sacrifice cows, you were to sacrifice bulls. But God has shown patience, but now they cross a line. He Says, No, no. Here's a warning. To all who think that they can casually approach God, saunter into his presence and say, Hi God, I need your help. He's not that sort of help. Here's a warning. Not to treat lightly the holiness of God who helps us. He's not a maid. He's not a butler. He's not our pal. He's not our chum. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And they treat him lightly. Not just in this moment, but they treat him lightly afterwards. It's another twenty years before they acknowledge God and turn to him. It's not only the Philistines who can be dense and stupid and hard hearted. God's people are well capable of it too. Persisting in sin and they have been shown by God its seriousness and how wrong it is. And we can marvel at the foolishness of the Philistines, but we also need to see the pig-headedness of God's people and how they treat God lightly and yet expect him to come to their aid. And then the third thing we see in this first point is that he is patient and merciful, yet he is patient and merciful and merciful 20 years after the return of the ark before the people humble themselves and for those 20 years they have behaved behaved godlessly and wickedly they have worshipped Baal and Asherah and Ashtoreth these were pagan fertility gods and goddesses and their worship was vile promiscuity And we see in the last chapters of the book of Judges what Israel was like in those days. And they are dark, dark times. And God is astonishingly patient with them. He brings the ark back, the symbol of his presence. Maybe you've got a question in your mind. Hold on, Mark. You've said he's he's patient and merciful. He doesn't seem so merciful to the people of Beth Shemesh. He strikes 70 of them dead. But it is an act of mercy. It is a severe mercy. It's to alert the people that he is not a God to be treated lightly. And that's what we need to hear. And we need to be aware of presuming on the mercy of God. We need to be aware of the severe mercy of God. Sometimes he brings judgment to halt us in our sinfulness To save us from an even greater disaster. That's a kindness. When he brings some difficulty into our life. To save us from an even greater disaster. And yet we see here he is still patient. And 20 years of patience. Then the people put away their bales and their asterisks. And God has been patient. Romans 2, 4. Paul writes these words, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's patience with people is intended not to cause them to think he doesn't care, but that he is giving them time to repent. The God who helps, he is not the help. He is not our little helper. He is not a genial assistant in the checkout queue of life who is there to help us with the things that are too awkward and too big for us to pack into our lives. He's not a magic genie that we summon to our aid. This is the God who helps. The God of gods and the Lord of lords. Secondly, we want to see the people. God helps, the people God helps. Sometimes people say, You know, I asked God to help me and he didn't, so I don't believe in him because he just mustn't exist. Well, we see here the people that God helps. In fact, we see not so much the people that God helps, but the characteristics that they display. Samuel knows that when life is hard, people will try anything. And yes, the people lament and mourn after God. But tears aren't enough. Being at the end of your tether isn't enough. It's not your tears that God wants. It's you. All of you. He doesn't want simply your sorrow. But all of you. All of us. Notice what Samuel calls from the people. Four things that characterize repentance. I was asked recently what repentance is. Well, here's a perfect illustration of it. What Samuel says, sorrow. Yes, they were to mourn and grieve for their sin. Yes, this is where it all starts with recognizing our guilt before God. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in Christ, you need to start here with grasping your guilt before God. Seeing its seriousness. Seeing that you have an eternity of hell ahead of you. That is something to be sorrowed over. Not stepped lightly past. And if you're a Christian who has been going against God, this is where you need to start. To sorrow over your sin. And then there needs to be a sincere, a wholehearted turning. Verse 3. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts. Chapter 7 verse 3. It's a wholehearted turning that God calls for. A giving up on ourselves and on our own way. The children of Israel have been relying on the fertility gods and goddesses to provide for them in their farming and in their crops. And now Samuel says no. You're not going to sort of stand with one foot in this camp and one foot in this camp. You're not going to call on God for help because you need help with the Philistines and call to Baal and Asherah and Ashtoreth for help with your crops. No, no, no. Forsake that. It's got to be wholehearted. It's all or nothing with God. The third component is this turning away. Forsaking what's wrong. Chapter 7 verse 3. If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths. They're to turn from what's wrong. They're to turn, and we're to turn from the substitutes that we have for God in our lives. What substitutes do we have for God? All sorts of things we can put in God's place that we need to turn from. All sorts of wrong behavior that we need to forsake. We need to turn. And we need to turn, not just from, but to. We need to commit ourselves to God. Samuel says, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. There's that sincerity, that wholeheartedness. But we're turning to God and we're entrusting ourselves to him completely. And this is what repentance is. This is how you start the Christian life and how you live the Christian life. It's always a turning from and a turning to. The turning to is putting our entire trust, giving our entire allegiance to God. It's realizing that we've been driving the cart of our lives down the road the wrong way. It's stopping and saying, I was wrong. It's turning it round and saying, God, would you take the reins? And will you drive in the right direction? I'm going to trust you. I've been in the wrong and I'm going to commit myself to you, not just to deal with the wrong that I've done, but I'm going to go in the way that you would have me go. And Samuel calls the children of Israel to this, to genuine, costly repentance. Not just crocodile tears, but repentance. And that's what we are called to. We're called to repent, to give up on ourselves, And to place ourselves in God's hands. To cast ourselves on his mercy. And when we do that, we find that even though we don't deserve it, we have a God who comes to help. Too often people expect God to come to their aid just because they summon him. They're not one bit interested in serving him, in turning to him. And look for 20 years and much longer These people have been in trouble. But they hadn't repented. And so God waited. He waited for this moment. The people that God helps. Now let me make a comment here. A word to those who have been going through difficult circumstances... They've been calling out to God for help and perhaps that help hasn't been materializing in the way you've been asking. And maybe you're thinking this morning, I need to go back and ransack my life and look for some sin maybe I've committed that I need to repent of. Don't let Satan beat you up that way. If it's clear and obvious, yes, repent of it, get rid of it, deal with it. The children of Israel weren't sitting scratching their heads thinking, you know, the Philistines are defeating us. What could possibly be the thing that we are doing wrong? They knew. The bales and the ashtress, plain as could be. And so it is with us. We know our sin. It's before us. And we're to repent of it. It may be this morning that you've been crying out to God for help. And you're wondering, do I need to go back and perform some sort of forensic examination of my life in case there's some thing that I have not confessed? That's not how God works. Keep keep listening. And you'll see that as you've been repenting of your sin and as you've been trusting, God has been helping and will continue to help. So where does that bring us to? The people respond and we want to consider very briefly the ease of God's help, the the thing that comes next. Samuel calls them to assemble as a nation and as they assemble as a nation the Philistines get word of it and they think that this is a great opportunity to wipe out Israel and so they muster their forces to attack. And what do the Israelites do? Do they do they go 50-50 and say, we'll pray to God and we'll, we'll, we'll pray to the Baals and the Asterisks and we'll take up our swords and we'll fight and we'll take the Ark of the Covenant back into battle? No. They stand and pray. I think it's astonishing. They're about to be attacked and they say to Samuel, pray for us. Keep praying for us. And then we come to magnificent words in verse 10. But the Lord... But the Lord thundered on that day. We've looked at that little phrase before. But God or but the Lord. How wonderful it is. And here is God's help. And how how easy it is. The mighty Philistine army is assembled. And God thunders. They're terrified and scatter. That's it. That's it. The ease with which God helped them. And they find that when you cling to God by sheer faith, that God will be your help. They're hanging everything on the mercy of God. And when you do that, you find that God will not disappoint. And if you haven't put your trust in Christ this morning, I can assure you that if you hang all of your hope on the mercy of God displayed in Jesus Christ at the cross, you will not be disappointed when the day of judgment comes. You will find that he has helped. Children of Israel here find that God has helped. Here is God's powerful help. It's surprising, isn't it, that he would help this people after all their rejection and wickedness and stupidity. That's what he does. And that's how he helps. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were stupid and foolish and ignorant and sinful, so when we would repent, God's help, God's undeserved help, God's grace would be there for us. Here is God's powerful help. If you're a Christian this morning, it may be that God has put you in a position where all other support has been taken away and you're left almost tottering with nothing to do but to cling to him and to hold on to his mercy alone and you're hanging on keep doing that you will find that he is your help and shield and note this as the people said to samuel pray for us pray for us don't stop crying out for us you have a true and better samuel who prays and who intercedes for you, and He knows what you need. He knows the help that you need. He knows your weaknesses. He's been tested in every way, even as we are, and yet is without sin, and He is able to provide grace to help in time of need. God helps His people. Maybe that you're a failing, struggling Christian this morning. Repent, and reject the wrong that you've been doing and recommit to Christ and he will help and you will find one truer and better than Samuel who offers a sacrifice for your sins so you can be forgiven and who will intercede for you here is the God who comes to the aid of those who repent and trust in him and cling in faith to him to cling in faith to him is not to waste your time And then the fourth thing that we see as we finish the response to God's help. Verse 12, we read Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. I think his Ebenezer was perhaps bigger than my stone. But What an example. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Maybe as you're sitting here this morning, that's the thing that as you look back and you think of a lifetime of following Christ, or maybe even recent months of following Christ, or recent years of following Christ, you look back over it, and this is the thing that strikes you. I repented and I trusted, and what did I find? I found that God is true to His Word. That he helped me. And maybe you're saying this morning, thus far the Lord has helped me. Thus far the Lord has helped me. Magnificent. What should you do? Well, two things. Remember. Remember his help. Remember his help. Samuel knows that we're hopelessly forgetful people. And so he sets up a huge marker stone. As a monument. You can imagine the children of the, 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 the children of Israel. The next generation saying, mum, dad, what's that big stone sitting up like that for? And they would say, well, there's a time when the Philistines came to attack. And we were all standing praying. And the kids would say, well, did you fight? No. It was incredible. God thundered. God thundered. And what happened, mummy? What happened, daddy? The Philistines fled. Really? really? Yes, God. God came to our help He wants to etch it into the memories and the hearts of the children of Israel. And we need to do the same. So this morning, let me urge you to look back. Look back to find, it's a quaint name, but look back to find your Ebenezer. The stone that you will mark down in your life. Say, this is where God has helped me. It might be a place you drive past, And you're reminded of dark days when you used to drive past it. Or perhaps it's a place where life changed at that place. And every time you drive past it, now remember and say, Thus far has the Lord helped me. Or it might be a person. When you see them, you think, God used them. And you say to yourself, Thus far the Lord has helped me. It may be just... Some aspect of looking at where you're at now from where you were at two years ago, and you say, Thus far the Lord has helped me. It might be a memento, it might be a date. Etch it into your memory. Maybe it was at a low point, maybe there was a difficult point, a broken point, and looking back, you can say, Thus far the Lord has helped me. Have many. Ebenezer's have many points where you can say, thus far the Lord has helped me. And every time we come to the Lord's table, our Father in heaven gives us another one. We weren't at the cross, but he has set up a marker, a stone for us, as it were, that says, remember that thus far the Lord has helped you. We do this in remembrance of Christ. And we look at the table and we say, If he gave us his only Son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Thus far the Lord has helped. Remember, look back with thankfulness, but look forward. Thus far, Samuel says, there's an implication that God has helped us thus far and we are expecting him to keep on helping us. That's the whole point of remembering the past because God doesn't change and it's to encourage them in the present and for the future. And if he's helped us thus far, as we keep following and trusting, as we keep hanging on to him, you will say in a year's time, thus far, in two years' time, thus far, you will not find a time where you will say, well, he helped me up to then, and then there's a huge chunk of time he never helped me. He is the God who helps his people. That was Samuel's and Israel's experience. And the chapter finishes off with a summary of the rest of Samuel's uh, ministry and rulership as a judge. And if we find that there's peace in the land, and God helped them. But notice the help here is very ordinary. They had peace and Samuel just went about his ordinary work teaching them the word of God and calling them to live in God's ways and the people did that and there was peace. Sometimes the help is powerful thundering. Sometimes it's enabling us to keep plodding. But God helps nonetheless and we should anticipate and look for that help. And live in the confident expectation of that help. It's no small thing to be a Christian. You get to say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So let's live and look like we say, thus far the Lord has helped us. Amen.